Chapter 12, Part 3 of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter 12, Part 3. Holiness and usefulness go hand in hand. No two souls dealt with exactly alike. Visits to a stricken home. Another side of her life. Visit to a hospital. Christian friendship. Letters to a bereaved mother. Submission not inconsistent with suffering. Thoughts at the funeral of a little wee Davy. Assurance of faith. Funeral of Professor Hopkins his character. She entered the new year with weary steps, but with a heart full of tenderness and sympathy. A circle of young friends, living in different parts of the country, looked eagerly to her at this time for counsel, and she was deeply interested in their spiritual progress. She wrote to one of them, January the 6th, 1872, Your letter has filled my heart with joy. What a friend and saviour we have, and how he comes to meet us on the sea, if we attempt to walk there in faith. I trust your path now will be the ever-brightening one that shall shine more and more unto the perfect day. Holiness and usefulness go hand in hand, and you will have new work to do for the Lord, praying work especially. Pray for me, for one thing. I need a great deal of grace and strength just now and pray for all the souls that are struggling toward the light. Oh, that everybody lived only for Christ! A few weeks later, writing to the same friend, she thus refers to the fiery trials through which she was passing. This season of temptation came right on the heels, if I may use such an expression, of great spiritual illumination. Of all the years of my life, 1869 to 70 was the brightest, and it seems as if Satan could not endure the sight of so much love and joy, and so took me in hand. I have not liked to say much about this to young people, lest it should discourage them, but I hope you will not allow it to affect you in that way, for you must remember that no two souls are dealt with exactly alike, and that the fact that many are looking up to me may have made it necessary for our dear Lord to let Satan harass and trouble me as he has done. No, let us not be discouraged, either you or I, but rejoice that we are called of our God and Saviour to give him all we have and all we are. If we spent more time in thanking God for what he has done for us, he would do more. Malignant scarlet fever and other diseases had invaded and isolated the household mentioned in the following letter. Their gratitude to Mrs. Prentice was most touching. It was as if she had been to them an angel from heaven. The story of her visits and loving sympathy became a part of their family history. To Mrs. Humphrey, New York, January the 26th, 1872. I came home half frozen from my early walk this morning to get warm not only at the fire but at your letter, which I found awaiting me. I am glad if you got anything out of your visit here. 
I rather think you and I shall rattle on together after we get to heaven. You say, how skilfully God does fashion our crosses for us. Yes, he does. And for my part, I don't want to rest and be happy without crosses, for I can't do without them. People who set themselves up to be pastors and teachers must learn in suffering what they teach in sermon and book. I felt a good deal reproved for making so much of mine, however, by my further visits to the house of mourning of which we spoke to you. The little boy died early on the next day, and before his funeral his poor mother, neglected by everybody else, found it some comfort to get into my arms and cry there. It made no difference that twenty years had passed since I had had a sorrow akin to hers. We mothers may cease to grieve outwardly, but we never forget what has gone out of our sight, or ever grow unsympathetic because time has soothed and quieted us. But I need not say this to you. This was on Saturday. All day Monday I was there watching a most lovely little girl, about six years old, writhing in agony. She died early next morning. The next eldest had been in a critical state, but will probably recover a certain degree of health, but as a helpless cripple. Well, I felt that death alone was inexorable. Other enemies we may hope and pray and fight against, and that while my children lived, I need not despair. The tax on my sympathies in the case of those half-distracted parents has been terrible and yet I wouldn't accept a cold heart if I had the offer of it. To give you another side of my life, let me tell you of a pleasant dinner party one night last week, when we met Governor and Mrs. C. of Massachusetts, and I fell in love with her then and there. Well, this is a queer world, full of queer things and queer people. Will the next one be more commonplace? I know not. Goodbye. Word has come from that afflicted household that the grandfather has died suddenly of heart disease. His wife died a few weeks ago. Mr. Prentice saw him on Saturday in vigorous health. To Miss Rebecca F. Morse, New York, March the 5th, 1872. Can you tell me where the blotting pads can be obtained? I have got into a hospital of spines. In other words of people who can only write lying on their backs, one of them an authoress, and I think it would be a mercy to them if I could furnish them with the means of writing with more ease than they do now. I was sorry you could not come last Friday, and hope you will be able to join us Saturday when the club meets here. How you would have enjoyed yesterday afternoon with me. I went to call on a lady from Vermont who is here for spinal treatment and found in her room another of the patients. Two such bright creatures I never met at once, and we got a going at such a rate that though I had never seen either of them before, I stayed nearly three hours. I mean to have another dose of them before long, and give them another dose of E.P. I have been reading a book called The Presence of Christ, which I liked so well that I got a copy to lend. It is not a great book, but I think it will be a useful one. It says we are all idolaters and reminds me of my besetting sins in that direction. 
I feel overwhelmed when I think how many young people are looking to me for light and help, knowing how much I need both myself. Every now and then some providential event occurs that wakes us up, and we find that we have been asleep and dreaming, and that what we have been doing that made us fancy ourselves awake was mechanical. I must be off now to my sewing society, which is a great farce, since I can earn thirty or forty times as much with my pen as I can with my needle, and if they would let me stay at home and write, I would give them the results of my morning's work. But the minute I stop going, everybody else stops. To Mrs. Condict, April the 7th, 1872. How I should love to spend this evening with you. This has been our communion Sunday, and I am sure the service would have been very soothing to your poor, sore heart. And yet why do I say poor when I know it is rich? Oh, you might have the same sorrow without faith and patience with which to bear it, and think how dreadful that would be. Your little lamb has been spending his first Sunday with the Good Shepherd and other lambs of the flock, and has been as happy as the day is long. Perhaps your two children and mine are claiming kinship together. If they met in a foreign land, they would surely claim it for our sakes. Why not in the land that is not foreign and not far off? But still these are not the thoughts to bring you special comfort. Thy will be done, does the whole. And yet my heart aches for you. Someone, who had never had a real sorrow, told Mrs. N. that if she submitted to God's will as she ought, she would cease to suffer. What a fallacy this is! Mrs. N. was comforted by hearing that your little one was taken away by the consequences of the fever, as her netty was, for she had reproached herself with having neglected her to see to Johnny, who died first, and thought this neglect had allowed her to take cold. I feel very sorry when mothers torture themselves in this need this way, as if God could not avert ill consequences if he chose. I have shed more than one tear today. I heard last night that my dearly loved brother, Professor Hopkins, is on his dying bed. I never thought of his dying. He comes of such a long-lived race. I expect to go to see him, and if I find it can be of any use or comfort, stay a week or two. His death will come very near to me, but he is a saintly man, and I am glad for him that he can go. How thankful we shall be when our turn comes. The ladies at our little meeting were deeply interested in what I had to tell them about your dear boy, and prayed for you with much feeling. May our dear Lord bless you abundantly with his sweet presence. I know he will, and yet he has willed it that you should suffer. Himself hath done it. Oh, how glad he will be when the dispensation of suffering is over and he can gather his beloved round him, tearless, free from sorrow and care, and all forever at rest. May the 5th. Yesterday, the friend at East Dorset, whose three children died within a few weeks of each other, sent me some verses, of which I copy one for you. The eye of faith beholds a golden stair, like that of old, whereon fair spirits go and come, God's angels coming down on errant sweet, 
our angels going home. I hope this golden stair, up which your dear boy climbed with shout and song, is covered with God's angels coming down to bless and comfort you. One of the most touching passages in the Bible, to my mind, is that which describes angels as coming to minister to Jesus after his temptations in the wilderness. It gives one such an idea of his helplessness. Just as I was going out to church this morning, Mr Prentice told me of the death of a charming baby boy, one of our lambs, and I could scarcely help bursting into tears, though I had only seen him once. You can hardly understand how I feel as a pastor's wife toward our people. Their sorrows come right home. I have a friend also hanging in agonising suspense over a little one who has been injured by a fall. She is sweetly submissive, but you know what a mother's heart is. I have yet another friend who has had to give up her baby. She is a young mother and far from her family, but says she has perfect peace. So from all sides I hear sorrowful sounds but so much faith and obedience mingled with the sighs that I can only wonder at what God can do. To Miss Morse, May the 7th, 1872 How true and how strange it is that our deepest sorrows spring from our sweetest affections, that as we love much, we suffer much. What instruments of torture our hearts are! The passage you quote is all true, but people are apt to be impatient in affliction, eager to drink the bitter cup at a draught rather than drop by drop, and fain to dig up the seed as soon as it is planted to see if it has germinated. I am fond of quoting that passage about the peaceable fruit of righteousness coming afterward. I have just come from the funeral of a little wee Davy. All the crosses around his coffin were tiny ones and he had a small floral harp in his hand. I thought as I looked upon his face, still beautiful, though worn, that even babies have to be introduced to the cross, for he had a week of fearful struggle before he was released. I enclose an extract I made for you from a work on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was all the paper I had at hand at the moment. The recipe for curry I have copied into my recipe book, and the two lines at the top of the page I addressed to M. A queer mixture of the spiritual and the practical, but no stranger than life's mixtures always are. To a young friend, New York, May the 20th, 1872. As to assurance of faith, I think we may all have that, and in my own darkest hours this faith has not been disturbed. I have just come home from a brief visit to Miss Bank, with whom I have had some interesting discussions. I use the word discussions advisedly, for we love each other in constant disagreement. She believes in holiness by faith, while denying that she has herself attained it. I think her life, as far as I can see it, very true and beautiful. We spent a whole evening talking about temptation. Not long ago, I met with a passage in French to this effect. I quote from memory only. God has some souls whom he cannot afflict in any ordinary way, 
for they love him so that they are ready for any outward sorrow or bereavement. He therefore scourges them with inward trials, vastly more painful than any outward tribulation could be, thus crucifying them to self. I cannot but think that this explains Mrs. Blank's experience, and perhaps my own. At any rate, I feel that we are all in the hands of an unerring physician who will bring us, through varying paths, home to himself. I had a call the other day from an intelligent Christian woman whom I had not seen for eighteen years. She said that some time ago her attention was called to the subject of personal holiness, and as she is a great reader, she devoured everything she could get hold of and finally became a dogmatic perfectionist. But experience modified these views, and she fell back on the Bible doctrine of an indwelling Christ, with the conviction that just in proportion to this indwelling will be the holiness of the soul. This is precisely my own belief. This is the doctrine I preached in Stepping Heavenward, and I have so far seen nothing to change these views while I desire and pray to be taught any other truth if I am wrong. I believe God does reveal himself and his truth to those who are willing to know it. To Miss Morse, New York, May the 31st, 1872. I got home yesterday from Williamstown, where I went with my husband to attend the funeral of my dearly beloved brother, Professor Hopkins. He literally starved to death. He died as he had lived, beautifully, thinking of and sending messages to all his friends, and on his last day repeating passages of scripture and even, weak as he was, joining in hymns sung at his bedside. The day of the funeral was a pretty trying one for me, as there was not only his loss to mourn, but there were traces of my darling mother and sister who both died in that house, all over it some of my mother's silver, a white quilt she made when a girl, my sister's library, a collection of shells and minerals, her paintings, her little conservatory, the portrait of her only child, dressed in his uniform. He was killed in one of the battles of the wilderness. Then, owing to the rain, none of us ladies were allowed to go into the cemetery, and I had thought much of visiting my sister's grave and seeing her boy lying on one side and her husband on the other. But our disappointments are as carefully planned for us as our sorrows, so I have not a word to say. After services at the house, we walked to the church, which we entered through a double file of uncovered students. One of the most touching things about the service was the sight of four students standing in charge of the remains, two at the head, and two at the foot of the coffin. His poor folks came in crowds, with their hands full of flowers, to be cast into his grave. My brother said he never saw so many men shed tears at a funeral, and I am sure I never did, some sobbing as convulsively as women. I could not help asking myself, when my heart was swelling so with pain, whether love paid. Love is sweet when all goes well but oh, how fearfully exacting it is when separation comes, how many tithes it takes of all we have and are. A worthy young woman in our church has been driven into hysterics by reading Holiness Through Faith. 
I went to see her as soon as I got home from W yesterday, but she was asleep under the influence of an opiate. There is no doubt that too much self-scrutiny is pernicious, especially to weak-minded, ignorant young people. It was said of Prof. Hopkins that he would have been a mystic but for his love to souls, and I am afraid these new doctrines tend too much to the seeking for peace and joy, too little to seeking the salvation of the careless and worldly. But I hesitate to criticise any class of good people, feeling that those who live in most habitual communion with God receive light directly and constantly from on high, and of that communion we cannot seek too much. End of chapter 12, part 3